Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. On July 19, 1977, the world teacher, the Christ Maitreya, head of the spiritual hierarchy, emerged from his ancient retreat and is now in the modern world. With his disciples, the masters of the wisdom, he will inaugurate the new age of synthesis and brotherhood. Good morning and welcome to our World Teacher Programme on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. Presented by Teresa and David on behalf of Share International New Zealand. In our programme today we will be discovering the esoteric wisdom in the Bible. Our material comes from articles written for Share International magazine by the late Reverend Howard Ray Carey in the mid-1980s. His personal account of how he came to believe the information about the presence and the work of Maitreya the Christ makes interesting reading. We'll probably cover his story in a future programme, but for now we are going to read a selection of his articles. He begins... The Bible is full of esoteric wisdom but it may take some insight to discover it. It seems to be the case, especially in the past, that esoteric information, when embodied in literature made available to the public, was veiled beneath exoteric or more obvious interpretations. For if the deep symbolic meanings in the biblical literature have been made obvious on the surface, it is questionable whether the Bible could have survived especially through the Dark Ages. It probably would have been discarded as irrelevant. It seems to be an indication of genius on the part of many writers, whose works later were gathered together to make up the Bible, that they produced material which could be interpreted on at least three different levels. The first level is of course a quite literal one. The second is a bit more sophisticated, but still subject to interpretation by the concrete mind of the orthodox religionist. The third carries an esoteric meaning. Let us take an example of one of the best known and most loved of Jesus' parables, that of the prodigal son, found in Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 32. Looking at this from a very literal perspective, one might explain it as a warning about what happens to a reckless youth, one who demands everything he can get from his father and squanders it on all the drugs and women. Then he ends up broke and feeding pigs, the ultimate humiliation for a Jew of that time, and finally comes crawling back to dad in a state of near starvation. A second but still fairly obvious interpretation which might be made by a traditional churchman could be here is the rebellion of youth, striking out against parental authority. 
the youth sinks into a life of flagrant sin. But sometime before death, he accepts Christ, becomes converted, so he is saved from hell, and the Father, God, welcomes him to heaven following death. The third level of interpretation, though there may be many variations, sees it this way. The son, leaving home and travelling to the far country, indicates the soul or higher self on the involutionary spiral of experience, finally sinking into the deepest possible involvement in matter. In that mess he finally discovers that the pleasures and rewards of materialism leave him deeply hungry for a more satisfying life. Thus he comes to some measure of realization of himself. Then he begins the long journey of many lifetimes back to the Father's house, the monad, the home of the soul. Can we not see that the wayward son represents all of us in the human race? At one point or another, either on the trek to the far country to feed the animal nature, or on the long, long journey back home. Now, if we read the 13th chapter of Matthew with open eyes, we find that Jesus' disciples were deeply puzzled as to why he spoke to the curious crowds in these word pictures with such deeply hidden meanings. So they put the question to Jesus. He replied, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But he was planting the good seed deep in their lives to ponder upon, so that hopefully sometime it would sprout, grow, and as he suggested, bring forth grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, no doubt all significant numbers symbolically. But to his disciples Jesus said, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. As you and I read the Bible, let us ask ourselves, how acute is our esoteric vision and hearing? Geoffrey Hodson, a theosophical writer, in his book The Hidden Wisdom in the Holy Bible, Volume 1, gives us excellent clues to the symbolic meanings of the Bible. One of his suggestions is that we look at many biblical passages not for historical information, but that we consider them as happenings within our lives. Hodson suggests four keys for understanding this and many Bible passages. The first key, interpret such passages as dramas within us. Second, see that each character in the drama represents some level of our consciousness. Third, look for progress from one level of consciousness to another. For example, the ancient Hebrews leaving slavery in Egypt, wandering in the wilderness and later crossing the river Jordan and entering the promised land. Progress indeed. The fourth key, many words in sacred literature have specific symbolic meanings. For instance, mountains signify high levels of consciousness. If we will use these keys, very many passages in the Bible will have a new and greatly enhanced meaning for us. Take, for instance, the account given in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. It is the story of Jesus and his disciples caught in a severe storm on the sea or lake of Galilee. 
The boat seemed in danger of sinking. Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat when his disciples, in panic, awakened him. He asked, Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? He is reported to have calmed both the sea and the disciples by his word. Those who look at this as an historical incident sometimes argue as to whether the water becoming calm was a natural phenomenon or whether Jesus used supernormal power to still the raging waves. But let us look at it as having an important hidden meaning as an inner happening within us. Let the waters of the sea represent the sea of life over which we are making our life's voyage. The boat, our lower self or body. The raging storm, the emotional disturbances we may encounter. The disciples, the many aspects of our consciousness. The most important passenger in our boat, our life, is the Christ within. Why do we wait until some crisis seems to threaten us before awakening this Christ consciousness? But when this Christ life is awakened within us, what power it has to quiet the surging billows of our emotions, including the fears aroused by life's threatening storms. When we earnestly call to him with all our being, he never fails to come to our assistance, and he never fails to come to the assistance of humanity when the call is insistently and persistently made. Today it is evident that humanity has voiced that call. Some have done it consciously, loud and clear, others somewhat unconsciously, but the fact that the call has been made with strength and persistence makes it possible for this great being to be in our world now, in an indestructible body, so constructed as to last him all through the Aquarian age now dawning. Some esotericists seem unable to accept that it is happening now. Jews of the orthodox persuasion seem to expect that the Messiah will come at some still future date, while many in the more liberal branches of Judaism hint or affirm that the witness of Judaism itself constitutes a group Messiah. Adherents of the Christian churches also fall into differing categories regarding this matter. At least some fundamentalists believe strongly that the second coming of Christ must be preceded by a superhuman satanic antichrist and greater classicalisms of destruction than those that have now taken place. Is it any wonder that some of them blindly mistake him for the Antichrist? On the other hand, many so-called liberal Christians believe that he already has come the second time, either at Pentecost, in biblical times, or through the development of Christ consciousness in human hearts. This latter is, of course, one of three important aspects of his coming. But in spite of all the scepticism and the hindering thought forms, the great longing and massed insistence of a suffering humanity have succeeded in bringing him forth. Remember that it had been prophesied that his coming would be like a thief in the night. Thankfully, he is here to help us banish our fears and hostilities and pilot our spaceship Earth across the present troubled waters. 
and then across the calmer waters of Aquarius. Indeed, he has assured us that he has heard our widely voiced plea for assistance and is here in response to our cry for help. Let us listen to his words, which come to us through the loving service of Benjamin Krem, who has permitted himself to be overshadowed by the Christ and thus has become the channel for 140 of his messages. The following comes from message number 22. I am here to tell you that my emergence has commenced and before long you will see me and hear my words. There are those among you who know that I am here, who see me in their visions and dreams. Yet, speak not. Why hold this wonder to yourselves? My people cry for truth. For light and succor, let them know that I am returned, that I am here working and planning for them, to take them if they will, back to the Father, onward, into the future, upward, into the light. Tell them but I am among them and soon will they see me. Tell them this. My plans work smoothly and soon you will see a great transformation in the world. 
despite the signs, the changes are occurring, despite the tension, my love is spread abroad. Know this and be at peace within yourselves and raise the hope of men. I am here with you now my dear friends, and ask you to give me your allegiance, your trust, your help. You're listening to the World Teacher Programme on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. We'll now continue with the late Reverend Kerry's writings. A well-known Negro spiritual has this ingenious refrain. Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down. The biblical narrative behind this dramatic affirmation is found in Joshua chapter 6. There it is reported that Joshua and his people, the ancient Hebrews, besieged the walled enemy city of Jericho, but not in the way we would expect. First, Joshua had his army march around the city each day for six days, with seven priests blowing their seven trumpets of ram's horns. Then, on the seventh day, this procedure was repeated seven times. At the climax of this complex ritual, all the people on command gave a triumphant shout of victory, and the walls fell down flat. What is the secret of all this? Is it the power of the number seven, so significant throughout the Bible, multiplied sevenfold? Is it the power of unified sound? with the trumpets blowing and all the people shouting in unison? Is it the power of affirmed faith? Note that while the walls were still standing, Joshua commanded, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Is it a combination of all these factors? One final question. Is all this a symbolic statement, not intended to be taken literally as an actual happening on the physical level? In any case, I see this allegory as having a direct application to our world in this our day. Consider the many dividing walls which need to come a-tumbling down so that humanity may be united in love and brotherhood. 
the glaring wall of missiles, tanks and bombs which separate East and West, the walls of national greed and short-sightedness that divide North from South, the barriers of selfishness which, even within nations, stand between rich and poor, the ancient walls of bigotry blocking the way to union between Eastern and Western religions, the walls of lust and chauvinism between male and female, the barriers of tradition, prejudice and fear between social castes and classes, the walls of pride and ignorance erected between the aspirant and the common man. The question we must face is this. What in the world will cause these walls to fall down flat? We must know that nothing in the world will accomplish this, short of the divine plan, to be worked out by us in putting into practice the hierarchy's blueprint of love and sharing, justice and brotherhood. Do we honestly believe that this will accomplish the Herculean task before us? It appears to me that we had better believe it, understand it, and work at it with all our resources, for there is no other alternative. The biblical account of this next article is found in the 16th chapter of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It comes down to us as the report of actual events in the early missionary work of Paul and Silas. This most dramatic sequence of events may actually have happened, but more importantly, I see in this a significant parable, perhaps allegory is the better word, for that which has for long been happening to the human race. The story briefly is this. Paul and his partner, while setting forth this revolutionary teaching about Christ and his universal love for all, Jew and Gentile alike, were being followed by a fortune-telling girl. It is reported that she had a spirit of divination. She seemed to have been mocking these disciples about being ministers of the Most High God, setting forth the way of salvation. Annoyed, Paul turned on her and did a quick exorcism in the name of Christ. The girl's owners were infuriated because the money from her fortune-telling vanished immediately. Like so many others before and since, whose business practices seem threatened by the gospel of love and sharing, these owners brought totally false charges against Paul and Silas. Using anti-Semitic epithets against this Jewish team in this Gentile city, the accusers succeeded in stirring up a riot against them. The result was that the two missionaries were severely beaten and thrown into prison with their feet in irons. But this was not the entire outcome of their act. For at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying aloud and singing praises to God. We wonder, did they get some relief from bleeding backs and aching bodies by lifting up their voices in prayer and praise, instead of voicing the curses which most would have expected? Certainly we would not envy them the opportunity of trying this kind of therapy, in prison at midnight. At any rate, the results proved to be spectacular, to say the least. A most peculiar earthquake came, one which opened all the prison doors and removed the shackles from all the prisoners. 
A further result was the instant conversion of the jailer, who personally washed the bleeding backs of Paul and Silas and took them into his own home to feed them. Can we not see the allegorical meaning for humanity? For ages, humankind has been bound in the dark prison of glamour and illusion, all forms of selfishness and greed, imposed upon us by the high priests of politics, banking and commerce, and even of religion. They are the ones who point the finger and cry communist, or in another part of the world imperialist, at those who oppose them in their nefarious tactics. But their phony fortune-telling and fortune-gaining is now in the process of being exercised by the Christ and those who are returning with him to lead us into the new dawn of release from our long and dark imprisonment. The jailers are the ones who supinely do the bidding of the greedy graspers of fortunes at the expense of the needy and starving millions. But the prayers of man arising out of our long midnight from all parts of the world have brought forth a mighty response. Yes, the first shuddering sounds of the planetary earthquake are beginning to be heard. The social, political, economic and spiritual earthquake which comes to shatter all our fetters and set us free. What is our part in all this? No less, it seems, than dressing the wounds of the abused, feeding the hungry and helping with the release of all those imprisoned by unjust systems, east and west, north and south. As Maitreya has said through Benjamin Krem in Messages 27 and 36. Those among you who wish to serve the world have placed before them now the opportunity of all lives. May you seize it, use it to the full, and create for yourselves and your brothers a new life. The world awaits the sounding of the cosmic dates. The nations prepare for a new dispensation and in trust and brotherhood all men will share. Let us believe it. Let us rise to the level of consciousness where we know it to be true. And let us work for this with all our God-given strength and love wisdom. That concludes the compilation of articles on the hidden meanings in the Bible by the late Reverend Howard Ray Carey. And that's our program for today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about the World Teacher Maitreya and the Masters of Wisdom, please call us on 06 3646 101. That's 06 3646 101. Or visit the website share-international.org where you'll find more information on the various aspects of the emergence. To inquire about Share International magazine subscriptions, books by Benjamin Krem, or our monthly free-of-charge newsletter, which contains extracts from the current Share International magazine, the number is 04234 That number again is 04234 Or write to P.O. Box 9576 Wellington. Thank you for listening to us on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. And please tune in to our next World Teacher programme on Saturday the 16th of April at the usual time of 10am. 
You can listen again to this program and previous ones by visiting our website at share-international-nz.info and click on the radio tab. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.